This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to Pardon the Corruption. Today, my guest is Nick Tutsel. Nick Tutsel uh, is the man who has been taking over the quick reaction of late. And um, Nick, I got to start off by asking you that. Um, what is it like reviewing the game immediately after it ends? Is it like just whatever comes to your mind, throw it down? Or have you sort of, as the game goes along and you're watching it, you're like, man, I'm going to rip on this guy for doing this. Like, what's your mindset as you go into the quick reaction? I do. Uh, yeah, good question. I do it as I go. So I like, I'm obviously sitting there watching the game anyways. I always will kind of watch the game and as players do things that, you know, I think are going to impact the outcome of the game or, or big kind of red flags or good things that they're doing. I'll make note of it. Um, if I think of something funny to say, or I like to tie in, you know, Jack and Matt are going back and forth and can use one of their lines and one of the little blurbs. So I'll write up all the little blurbs throughout the game. And then when it comes to grades for all the commenters out there, I write the reviews first and then I'll go and say, Hmm, that guy probably a B minus, maybe an A it's, uh, we don't have a, I don't have a formula in my brain to uh, spit out this shooting percentage or PER equals this grade, but it's more of a watch as you go kind of thing, collate a lot of different notes. And at the end, I'll uh, edit those notes to make some sort of a sentence or sentences that make sense and uh, apply them to different players. But uh, it's been fun doing it each night. I will say with a uh, lockdown, all we got is free time, right? So it's <laughs> nice to, to have something to look forward to uh, other than, um, the highs and lows of this team, which as we both know, have been uh, quite the roller coaster. I, I have noticed that uh, over the years and quick reaction, uh, it, its predecessor used to be called the roll call. Uh, you know, the it has gotten much more positive as the years have progressed. I, I remember that segment in, uh, in you know, early 2000s or, um, or sorry, late 2000s or mid 2010s it used to be just an absolute shit show because, you know, every game was just a complete disaster, especially the Bargnani years. And by the time the quick reaction came along, it was just cathartic to just hand out Fs to all these people who had disappointed you. <laughs> but now over the last little bit, over the last five, six years, I'd say, things are a lot more positive overall in Raptor land. And I, and I find sometimes like, we lose sight of just how bad this franchise was and how great things have. It's almost like a complete U-turn the, the club has done in the last, say, 10, 12 years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I try to I try to be as even keel as I can whenever I go through and grade these guys, but it's I think recency bias is, is all, it's almost impossible to ignore, right? Like when we look at the talent levels of, of this team over the past couple of years, we're, you know, two, what, two years removed now from winning a ring. I think it's hard not to hold the team to that standard that we were used to um, grading them on in the playoffs. But um, I, I do try to take it night by night, especially when I grade these guys and um, I feel like maybe I'm on the uh, the more negative side of of grading uh, some of these players, especially when it comes to you know I've I've had a couple uh, 
couple sections where we love to to rip on Aaron Baines or even like you look at a guy like Chris Boucher he's been so good and I think for a stretch there you could argue that he was maybe the Raptors most consistent offensive option like not named Kyle Lowry and then he'll come out and and get bodied by like a Joel Embiid and not have a great game and then you rip on him but um, I think when you when you remove yourself from it you've got you kind of you do have to take it uh game by game but I I think um yeah, looking back on on the team that used to be so good and and, and won us a ring, uh, it, it's not doing any favors for the grades of of the current students because yeah. uh, we're used to giving them straight A's, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. The recency bias does does kick in, and 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 like you mentioned, Chris Boucher there, you know, who uh, who obviously is having a phenomenal season. I mean, if anybody picked him up in fantasy at the start, man, they're like reaping the rewards right now, right? With his three point shooting. Man, if you didn't draft that guy, you you're out of your mind. I was seeing him go in seventh and eighth rounds in the drafts I was in. Yeah, and and, and you know the, the the open question with the Raptors is. Is small ball sort of sustainable? Because when Nick Nurse kind of brought it out against uh, uh, Milwaukee there, you know, in, in, in both games, we had a lot of success. And immediately some of the calls that, oh, the Raptors need a center sort of sort of didn't go away, but they were a little bit more muted. Can the Raptors survive this season? And I'll also say when not one, but OK, you know what? Let's not get greedy. Can the Raptors survive this season and win a playoff round without making a move at center? I think I think the answer is yes. Like the the league is so mercurial this year, and any team can beat any other team on a on a given night. But I we we talked about maybe talking about this topic before the show, and I wrote some notes down, and I think like small ball is it's not a one size fits all approach right like versus everybody it's not going to work and if you go through the playoffs teams in the east so you know sixers nets bucks we got the pacers celtics then before before i continue can we can we have a moment of silence maybe followed by a, a round of applause for the atlantic division who went from being the laughing stock of the nba to <laughs> having five playoff teams like if i told 2013 you that would you believe me in a million years i think that's uh, that's pretty impressive but um, I think, you know, against most teams, it's going to be tough in a playoff series to generate four wins using small ball. It's a really effective strategy to switch up um, your look and maybe for you can win a game, maybe two with small ball against these these teams who have bigs. But if you look at, man, the top of the East and Bede, obviously, he's a monster having an MVP year. Um, and Giannis, too. I know he's not a true center, but, you know, he might as well be with how he plays in the paint, especially around the playoffs, you know, if we're going to remove the first round last year in the bubble. So, and... But the Nets, are, they're the other team up there, right? And, and while they don't necessarily have a true center and we don't know what that's going to look like in the playoffs, they want to play a small ball style, style game anyways, right? They want to run. And I think if you do play small ball against the Nets, you're pretty much inviting them to score 150 points on you. And it's going to be really tough to, to keep up. Um, I think we can win a playoff series. Let's say we get in the four or the five spot and we draw the Pacers, the Celtics, God forbid the Knicks make it that high up. Um, I think I think we could definitely win a series employing that strategy here and there, but um, I don't think it's going to work if we do it every single night. I think the coaching staff is going to have to get a bit more creative, which is almost too bad because I feel like the fan in me thinks that it's the most fun version of the Raptors. I love when they put OG at the five. I think um, they give teams a lot of different looks that they're not used to seeing and it can result in, in great scoring opportunities. But, uh, you know, 
coaches, coaching staffs in the NBA are are smart and they game plan for these sort of things. So if they they know that the Raptors are going to go to that and that's their number one look, I think you'll start to see defenses adjust for it. It's almost like it works the other way around too. I think you need a bit of both. I mean, uh, like if you just had, if you purely went big and you only had Aaron Baines or Aaron Baines version two, and you did not have the option to go small ball, I think that would that would have its own possibly much worse troubles. So I think this flexibility in the lineup, this ability to like switch and adapt to your opponent, is critical. And I think certainly me when I, when I look at the Raptors. I don't look at it as, you know, are we, is small ball sustainable necessarily? I, I kind of more like, do we have enough diversity in our rotations, in our lineups that we're able to adapt against different teams? Um, I think if we weren't, if, if we, if we did not have the ability to play small, that would have been its own problem. Uh, and right now I feel like when it, the only time we are playing above average basketball is when we go small. And we got to find a formula where we're able to play above average good basketball when we do when when we are going against the Embiid and are throwing Baines in there or or another six ten guy who can who can actually play center. So right now I, I feel like one side of that balance is is sort of lacking. No, I totally agree. But like, is it is it a formula to play devil's advocate? I would say is it a formula or is it a guy? Right? Because I think we both know that. Aaron Baines, he's not a starting NBA center. Like he's just not. He mm-hmm. he can be a great serviceable big and come in and support a, a big guy who is a starter off the bench in 20, 25 minutes, you know, sets great screens. He's got good sense around the rim when he's not playing 35 minutes and being relied upon like a starting center. So I think that's where the buyout market gets interesting, the trade market. Um, what are Masai and Bobby looking for in terms of a big to shore up that defense and rebounding issue? Because that's been the big biggest glaring hole for the Raptors this season and I think you know you can say do it by by committee but but if you look at the bodies on the roster like who do they have right it's Aaron Baines who as we just said isn't like the only option that can defend these bigger guys and Chris Boucher who for all the things he does extremely well he's I don't know what his weight is I don't have it here in front of me but it's he looks like he looks like the grade nine kid standing beside the senior mm-hmm. Hulk at a basketball g- game in high school. Right. So I, I think that we, we need to find somebody who can address those defensive and rebounding concerns. And I'm not sure that they're on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. And if we don't find somebody before the, the trade deadline or in the buyout market, they're going to have to keep switching lineups. But, you know, it's interesting because you see like Chris Boucher play against, uh, let's say the Blazers. I know we lost that heartbreaker back a couple months ago at the buzzer when Siakam didn't hit that shot, but Chris Boucher had an awesome game. I think it was on his birthday and, you know, we ran back and forth with them and, and Nurkic and, uh, and Cantor, they just couldn't keep up with them. Right. And it was, it was, it was incredible. But then you go see like when we play a team like the Heat who don't necessarily have like, well, they have Bam Adebayo, but even their bigger guys like Precious and Kelly Olynyk, who are just big body dudes, you know, they were giving him a lot of trouble down low. And it's when you see things like that, you're like, wow, I wish I wish this team had a bigger option, just some more weight to put out there to, to bang down low. And right now, after we got rid of um, Alex Len, Bain seems to be kind of the only guy who offers that size. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what they can do um, as the trade deadline nears. Yeah, and Baines has shown a mild improvement in certain areas. Certainly, it's not it's nothing to uh, to depend on. But he, but he to, to his credit, he has improved in in, in certain areas. I um I posted a video today on the site. Uh, I looked at uh, Fred Van Vliet 
And uh, I kind of analyzed how he does against uh, the zone defense. Uh, and this came from the, the, the Miami games that you mentioned, where the Heat deployed a tremendous amount of zone to kind of slow the Raptors down and had a with success, I might add. I mean, the, the Raptors looked uh, slightly befuddled for, uh, you know, parts of that game. How do you, wh- where do you see Fred Van Vliet's evolution? Because last year, the criticism against him was that he may not be able to create for his teammates. And this year, he's certainly done that. I think he's much more reliable on the ball. Um, and in the video that I posted on the site today, you still see him struggle against his own defense, not not necessarily being able to pick apart or penetrate against a defense that is more set in. What's his next evolution step as he tries to become uh, the Raptors' starting point guard? And we'll get to Kyle Lowry in a bit. But what, like, if Fred is the long-term guy here, what's his remaining homework? Yeah, like you said, I think creating for others, it's something he needed to work on. He clearly did. His ball handling looks better this season. His awareness for where guys are on the court. You know, I think when you, we both play basketball, like when you learn ball growing up, a point guard should be able to get the rebound. I think it was Bob Cousy said it. You get the rebound, turn around, you should know where all four guys in the court are right away and, you know, be ready to make a pass to them up the court. And Fred has developed that skill from a guy who's more of a catch and shoot dude coming out of Wichita. And now he's a guy who I think is developing into more of a, a true NBA point guard in the sense. But, you know, I think the thing he really needs to work on is creating for himself. Does he have a move? There's two minutes left in the game. There's teams down by a couple points. They need to, they need him to get a bucket. Like, can he do that? What does that move look like? And right now, I don't think anybody can say this is his go-to. This is why he's so hard to defend. When you look at other guys on our roster, you you know Kyle Lowry's got that step back three in his bag, or you can just put his shoulder down like a bulldog and get to the rim on demand. Pascal, I know he's been up and down like more probably more mercurial than any other guy in the league, but he's got that spin move and he can use it to get to his spot and rise up. And I, I think Fred, he doesn't have that yet. And he really needs to work on those, those moves because at the end of the day, the NBA is an isolation league and it comes down to uh, guys are super athletic. They break down these plays and it ends up, there's eight seconds on a shot clock and you've got to get a shot off. What can you do and with a couple dribble moves to, you know, create space for yourself and get a shot up. And for Fred right now, it comes in spurts. Some games we see that from him and other games he kind of fades away because he's not able to do those moves that are as consistent. So I'd really like to see him work on a couple moves to get it, get in his bag that he could use against uh, opposing defenses and, uh, you know, execute consistently. Yeah. And I was looking at some synergy stats by Fred uh, uh, this morning. And uh, I noticed this just, just how, how limited his game other than his kind of jumper is like, for example, uh, he almost never takes a floater. And you would imagine a guy his size who likes, who has learned to get into that mid-range area more, that is a shot that is available to him a lot more and, and could be useful. But then again, to play devil's advocate, um, you, this, the floater is considered a low percentage shot, unless you're Mark Jackson or somebody. Uh, but w- w- whatever it is, you're, you're absolutely right. There is, there is something which is lacking in Fred when the shot clock is under five or six. And in the video I posted, there's a couple of examples of this where he's forced to create um, in the face of a set static defense that has everybody under control. And that in, in, in one of the plays that I examined, like he passed it to Terrence Davis with like four on the clock, right? Like that's not, that's not what you want to see from your 
primary ball handler, you want to see a little bit more. So, um, so definitely agree that that his next move is to really develop some one-on-one offense. Yeah, no, he needs to do it. And I think, especially as we look at Kyle Lowry getting older, I know some people are having the, is Kyle going to get traded or being looked at traded this season conversation? That means Fred's our guy when he leaves, right? And like you say, he needs to be relied upon to to score in those moments and have, maybe it is a float, floater, maybe it's a, a dribble move that can create some space off the dribble to, to get himself an open look. But right now, I don't know whether he, it's a confidence thing or he's just, because he's such a good catch and shoot player, you know, and it's, it's made him so much money in this league and he's made a name for himself. Like this whole bet on yourself mantra was basically built on fundamentals, great dribbling, good passing, and the ability to, to shoot it from near the half court line and get it in more often than not. Right. But when he's, he was upset that he didn't get in the all-star game this year. And I think rightfully so, because his play put himself in the conversation, but I think getting that move in his bag is going to be the thing that takes him from in the conversation to people saying this guy got robbed and here's the guy you should replace. And and I don't know if we can necessarily say that about him this year. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I, I think he probably should have made the all-star game, but the all-star game roster, I think they're thinking about ext- expanding it to 15 now. So they, they accommodate guys like Fred uh, a lot, which, which sort of makes sense. Um, but before we get to All-Star, if we ever get to All-Star, I, I do kind of want to go back to uh, the Bucks miniseries there that we had. And in the first game, the Raptors pretty much controlled it from start to finish. In the second one, maybe there were a couple of shaky areas, but more or less Toronto was in charge. Are you, and granted that that's not the Bucks at their best, but with the current rosters, peak Bucks versus peak Raptors. Who do you got? I love that we can even have this conversation, right? Because a lot of people who don't watch these teams would be like, are you kidding me? Like, obviously, it's the Bucks, right? But one of my favorite things about the NBA, particularly this season, is the parity, right? Any team can beat any other team on a given night. And I think what separates a team's ability to win, especially in the playoffs, which, you know, let's be honest, that's probably the only reason we're comparing these two teams at their peak are kind of two things for me, that's consistency and, and margin for error. Right. And I think kind of one feeds into the other. So, you know, yeah, you're good, but can you show up every night and play to your ceiling? And then how often can you still compete without firing all, on all cylinders? And I, I think it comes down to how many weapons you have in your arsenal, ultimately. And I remember a conversation we had last year, actually, before the season started at the uh, the launch party or the, the the watch party for the Raptors' first game. And we we're talking about, you know, with Kawhi gone, um, the conversation we were having was around, you know, how is this team going to struggle with with his absence? And it came down to, to consistent performance of the other players. I, I think the thing that makes superstars superstars is that, you know, they're going to be awesome every night, right? It makes them this massive release valve for the for the pressure on their teams. But because the thing that makes other players not super is that they make mistakes, right? Whether it's Kyle m- missing a three or um, a, a big setting, setting a poor screen or taking a dumb shot, you know, whatever it is. And sometimes some of our guys would have these bad games, but oftentimes it wouldn't matter because Kawhi was so good that he would dwarf those mistakes and we'd still win. And I think back to what I said to you last year, which I think, I think still holds true now is that all the guys when we made the championship run, not named Kawhi that had to do something some of the time in order for the teams to succeed. Now those guys need to do those things all of the time. 
right? The margin for error, it shrinks. And I think, so you fast forward to today, the Raps are down four of the top seven players from that run. We haven't necessarily replaced them with anybody of value. Yeah, Pascal, he, well, he's a bit of a different conversation because he's improved and he, and he dips, but Fred has improved, Boucher, he's sure improved, but we haven't really added anybody to increase that margin of error. So when you talk about competing with a team like Milwaukee, who have unquestionably, I would say, the best player in Giannis, um, and I think if I was talking to a, a guy on the Bucks podcasting network, he might say that the Milwaukee Bucks have the best three players. And I don't think either of us are going to take that argument, as we know the val- value that Kyle Lowry has to a team and how how good he is when he's at the peak of his powers. But Middleton and Drew Holiday are they're scary guys when they're playing really really well. Um, so when I think. I think their ultimately their margin for error is way bigger than the Raptors, right? And when you talk about the Raptors at their best versus the Bucks at their best, I think you when you look at the Raptors, it's almost like asking a bunch of B plus students to suddenly get straight A's every night, right? And I'm not sure that that's in their DNA. Like, can the Raps catch the Bucks on an off night? Sure, and they did twice in a row, right? And they they played really well. But as you mentioned. They didn't have all their guys, right? And I think if we put them in a playoff atmosphere where they're ready to go, they're game planning for the team, and they have all those players, um, you got to put the Bucks on a very short list of real title contenders in the NBA this year. And the Raptors, unfortunately, aren't on that list. So I, I would say I would have to go with the Bucks, but hmm. every, every night's every night's exciting in the NBA, and I think I think they've got a shot. But in terms of a playoff series, it's it would be tough. Yeah, so I I see like you know what, what does peak Raptors look like? Like peak Raptors is like OG Ananobi, not just being a three and D player, but also taking it to the rim, like driving a lot more, maybe finding people on on, on the bounce. Peak Raptors is Pascal Siakam not being so hesitant and operating out of the isolation game, handling the ball, a lot of these things. So the, so peak Raptors. I feel is something noteworthy and and can cause the Bucks a lot of trouble. And I also have faith that Bud is not a great coach. I think he's a good offensive coach and he he likes to, he reminds me a little bit of Dan Tony, to be honest with you, back in Phoenix, the way he kind of, you know, loose offense, go do whatever you kind of want. But I find when you make a tactical matchup against him, he's not able to respond. He has like Dwayne Casey type, response mechanisms built in which are usually a little too late and even in the in the two game mini series i kind of noticed that he did not really have an answer to us going small it was just brooke lopez shooting more threes which is kind of what the raptors want you to do they want your role players um you know Connaughton and and i can't believe buddy ended up in milwaukee dj augustine like those guys trying to beat you and if you factor the bucks you know, even if they're playing well and you see some of the coaching adjustments that they might have to make with Nick Nurse throwing some lineups out there, I can see them taking one, two, three games to adjust, which can tilt the balance in, in the Raptors' favor. And I and I, and I I still feel... I, Giannis still reminds me kind of, not that I'm that old and I never saw the guy play at that age, but... From what I hear, it's like Michael Jordan between 1985 and 1989, the guy who was who has some half decent guys around him, not, nothing great, but trying to do a lot of it himself and just in the process of trying to do everything himself, hurting the team. 
I still see elements of that in Giannis, which I don't think anybody in Milwaukee has the balls to tell him to stop. Yeah, no, they they don't. And I he, he's trying to get better, but like I think every time that he rises up for a shot, free throw line extended towards half court, you're thinking the stars that he did that, right? Like he's he's an incredible player when he puts his head down and he gets to the rim, but he's not a very good shooter. And I think teams are just trying to make him make him that. And and I think when you try to compare the Raptors and the Bucks, you look at coaching, it's it's a hundred percent advantage Raptors. But when I I look at how much bigger their advantage is on just pure talent, because I'm a big, big Drew Holiday fan personally. I think he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA and he adds a lot of leadership to that team and and I think a lot of good shot making in crunch time. Um and I th- I think that with the shooters that they have, Middleton and and Holiday as well, they can compensate for some of the things that Giannis was trying to do previously in crunch time, right? Uh, like obviously in an ideal world, if, if listen, if Giannis can consistently hit an 18 footer or pull up for three in transition, like it's over. Everybody should just go home now, give this guy the MVP till the end of time. But I think just the way his body is, it's it's tough for him to to develop these skills that we we look at guards and guys whose arms and legs match their height um and you know expect them to be able to make, expect him to be able to make shots at the same um same rate as them. So um it's something he definitely needs to work on um because listen at the end a lot of people have said it before this is new news but if the guy, if Giannis is taking a, a shot in the last 30 seconds of a game and his team's down one, that shot is 15 feet or greater from the hoop. I don't think it's going in. Like, mm-hmm. do you? It's it's no. it's not it's not a, it's not a scary thing to, to think that he's shooting um, at the end of a game, and and therein lies a huge problem considering that he is the face of their franchise. So, I think it's about the first three quarters of the game, they need to be able to do things to get themselves a sizable lead. So that's not an issue at the end. And, and obviously the addition of holiday and, and having Middleton there um, as another release valve helps things. But uh, yeah, the shooting thing is something he definitely needs to work on. And it's, it's always going to be um, something that caps his ceiling as a player. Um, if he can't mm-hmm. resolve it. Let's uh, let's go back to the Raptors uh, a little and uh, and kind of talk about their depth overall. Uh, we have seen from the start of the season that different guys have come in and played a, played their role for a bit and then have kind of faded into the shadows. And then a new guy comes in and he has his moment in the spotlight. Currently, it's uh, DeAndre Bembry. In fact, the only guy that hasn't had a spotlight is Matt Thomas, unless you count preseason. <laughs> that dude has not seen the light of day uh, since. Um would you call the Raptors a deep team? Like you can call them a deep team because there's been seven guys on their bench who have scared the living shit out of opposing teams on certain nights, but have three of those guys done it consistently enough to call them a good bench? Probably not. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes the difference between a fringe playoff team and a contending team is consistency on the bench. And we've seen it in years past with the Raptors, but um, aside from, I, I want to say aside from Boucher, but even I'm thinking back to certain games where I've given him poor grades because he's just ultimately not been able to do the things that he's good at well all the time when he's on the court. Like even we talk about his shot making and 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 um, defense around the rim. Like sometimes it's there, but it's not there all the time. And and when you look at good benches, 
they don't necessarily have to be do it all players. They're just guys who have one or two tools in their toolkit and they know how to grab those things every night and put them to work and do their thing on the court. Um, you mentioned Bemery. He's been one of my favorite players this season because his tool is, is hustle. It's hustle and, and hops and he gets the ball off the rim and he's like a, he gets, I, I don't know what the stat is. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but ho- hockey assists is something I always think about in basketball. And he's a very good passer. I think a very underrated passer for his size on the wing. And he always seems to know, you know, who the right guy is to go to, to, to that's going to result in, in making a play. And I think he's really kept help starting units where he's the only bench guy in that unit and bench units afloat in games with his energy and just his, his, his really good decision-making because a lot of the other guys, their tools, if you will, are, are, are predicated on, on shot making or, or things that can be there certain nights that aren't there others. But Bembry, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's his brain, right? He's a really smart basketball player and he's able to, to channel that more often than not. So uh, I, I love what he's done for this team, but when you go down the line, like Davis, some nights he's great. Other nights he, he's unplayable and, you know, Norman Powell, OG I don't know if you can call either of those guys bench players. They've come off yeah. the bench here and there, but most of them, they, I look at them as starters because they play starters minutes. So uh, it's been, it's been a wild ride this season, but I think consistency is key when it comes to uh, being a competitive bench in this league and, and not enough guys have shown it um, enough this, this season to be considered a, a great bench. And, and I guess, I guess that's when the, the new, the remaining schedule came out. And, and when I look at like the Raptors to-do list on what they got to figure out over the next, whatever games that are left, uh, it, it really is, is the answer to this question is that are we deep enough for a playoff run? And so far I have to agree with you. I think we've been patchy. A lot of our guys have had patches where they have been really good and they have been really poor. Bembry is probably the only guy, maybe uh, Stanley Johnson a little bit before him, who has had a bit of a consistent run and, and had, a, had a consistent stretch of games. But other than that, it really hasn't been there. It, it's been very spotty. So I don't think you can call the Raptors a deep team, uh, especially in the playoffs when the rotations kind of shorten to like seven or eight. Uh, you know, if, if one of those, if those guys are misfiring, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. And one more thing that the Raptors bench sort of lacks is scoring. They do not have a scorer off the bench. All the guys that we talked about, Johnson, Bembry, uh, Matt Thomas, Terrence Davis, all these guys, um, they require shots to be set up for them. They are good. The end of the shot clock guys who you got to find and maybe they'll knock something down. Bembry might get on the dunk or whatever, but they're not guys you would feel even like Norm. Like there's nobody even, not to discount Norm, Norm's a good player, but you need somebody who at the end of the clock has something in him to create something. I mean, and I'm talking about an offensive game like Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka, nobody would call him a scorer, but if the shot clock was running down, he had enough in him to kind of step in and do a hook or, or do something like that. The Raptors don't really have that. And I think that's what's preventing me from calling that uh, that bench unit deep. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, and I don't know where where that comes from. It's not going to happen overnight, right? And I, I you go down the line, like, do you see any of these guys being being impact players off the bench that have that sort of a move? You can make 
the argument that Norman Powell does here and there, but we've seen it like he was unplayable in the playoffs for stretches, right? Like we've all, we've all seen that. And as great as he's been, his, his stature and, and height makes it really tough for him to score against opposing wings that are, you know, have seven feet foot wingspans and, and are great at defending those baseline drives that he likes to do. So a lot of the things that are effective in the regular season for him, I'm not sure would work in the playoffs, especially against good defensive teams. Um, and yeah, you go down the line, like Matt Thomas, as you said, can't keep him on the court because he can't defend. Um, Terrence Davis has been super spotty and Chris Boucher, his development has been awesome, but I, I struggle to to see how he can be kept on the court in the playoffs when he can't necessarily defend the rim, especially against uh, against competitive bigs. Uh, so, I yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I love the long term prospects of of the Raptors' development with the guys that they currently have. But um, you know, don't discount guys like Malachi Flynn and and beyond that, guys who we're going to get in the future, right? I think if anything, Masai and and company have shown that they're incredible at drafting and finding talent late within rounds or even undrafted guys and developing them. Like look at Fred Van Vliet, right? Look at Pascal. So um, I think for the future, we're, we're, we're only ever a year or two away from getting one of those guys. And, and honestly, all it takes is one or two guys like that off the bench to be able to make a real difference. But in terms of the uh, players we have now, it's definitely been, like you said, a bit of a struggle. And you mentioned Siakam there, and we alluded to him a couple times. And he's obviously not playing right now due to um, health and safety protocols. How, how have you seen his game change uh, this year? He started off slow, had a pretty good West Coast stretch there where, where his offense kind of came along. And now he's he's uh, he's off and on, right? I, I still think he impacts the game in a considerable way. Uh, especially defensively, I think he's very, very good. I, I think without him in there, the Raptors' defense goes from whatever it's rated now down like six or seven notches quite easily just based on the ground he covers and the switchability he provides on defense. And offensively, like my view of Siakam is that he is best, and if the Raptors look at you know NBA minutes as investment in somebody – I really feel that we got to invest in Siakam handling the ball at, in a point forward role because that is a that is a skill that is unique. Uh, it is something that he can take advantage of. And also I find he enjoys it and he's gotten better at it. Like I see him use that high screen and do more than just use it to drive and throw up something at the rim. He navigates instead of uh, instead of just like rushing to the rim. The second part I love about Siakam is, I think, again, underutilized aspect of his game, his post-up game. I, I think he can be a very effective post-up player for the right. I know the post-up game is kind of not, you know, not, not so fashionable anymore, but these are the two areas where I find Siakam can get double teamed. He can get the majority of his points there. What's your view on his, on his offensive game and, and next steps for uh, improvement? Yeah, I think we've seen how good he can be, right? I know we've got to go back a season and a half to to talk about it, but he looked like one of the best young stars in the NBA. There was it wasn't too long ago that we were having the conversation who's better, Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum. That was a real conversation people are having, right? And obviously, it's not a conversation we can have right now, but when it comes to his performance on the courts or I think all these things that you mentioned 
matter, but the big, biggest thing for me with him is confidence. I, when he gets discouraged after a few misses, you can see it in his play. He kind of hangs out in the corner. You forget he's on the court for a little bit. And, you know, that's not conducive to being a star in this league or even being a really good player on a good team. And I think I totally agree with you. Ball handling, getting the ball in the post, those are things, especially ball handling. The more you have the ball in your hands and the more you're making moves that impact your team and getting your teammates involved, it heightens your confidence in the game. I think, you know, we play basketball and whenever you've got the ball and you make a good play and your teammates trust you to, to set up a play, you, th- that feels good. And in turn, you know, I think it gets, gets your moxie going up on the court and um, he, he needs to have that confidence because every game where he's smiling a lot and he's having a good time out there, it correlates with a good box score. And oftentimes it correlates with the Raptors win. So Confidence seems to be the most important thing for Siakam. I know in the bubble that um, he was kind of open about some of his his struggles with with mental health, as a lot of other players were. It was you know quite tough being away from their families and and locked up in that environment. And I, I I don't think that these days, especially with them being in Tampa, is too different, right? So it's definitely been tough for for Siakam the past uh, past year and a half. But I think confidence is the most important thing and I totally agree getting his hands in the ball more often and making him more of a playmaker within the offense and making sure even if he missed three shots and stuff got stuffed by Embiid and you know isn't having the the first quarter he wanted that he's still going to be the initiator of the team's offense and I think that's going to help get his confidence up and and ultimately make him more consistently impactful in these games and hopefully get him back to, to where we saw him last season. Yeah, I think I think the Celtics series sort of shook him. And, and I hate to ever peek into people's brains and make assumptions on what they are thinking and, and how they are feeling, because obviously I'm not in a position to do that. It, it just seemed like he took that really hard. And the fans were not Obviously, the fans were upset at the time, the way we lost and the way he, the way he performed there. I, I honestly feel that that is still in his mind and he needs to have a good playoff run to put that behind him to kind of like wash the sins of the Celtic series that, 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 that cathartic relief is still uh, he, he, he's still waiting for that. Yeah. For me, honestly, I, I don't have uh, too many high hopes of the Raptors uh, winning a championship this year, but if the only good thing that comes of us making the playoff playoffs is Pascal Siakam smoking the Pacers or, beating the Knicks in four games and him being the best player and getting that confidence back and then comes back to Toronto and the fans are into it. It's just a snowball effect. Right. And I think, you know, it doesn't take long one playoff series, a good little stretch, a few good articles written about him. We're making a podcast about Siakam. Is he the Raptors best player again? Like that sort of energy, I think can really uh, help these guys um, get back to where they were. So I, I, uh, I hope we, uh, we can get him going, especially in a playoff series. Cause I think that would do wonders for, for his development. Or I don't even want to call it development, just vaulting back to where he was. Cause, cause we know, we know the level he can be at. It's just, how do we get him to return to that uh, on a consistent basis? Mm-hmm. I guess let's end off on, um, I mean, we could talk about free agency a little bit, but, but, but let's, uh, cause there's too much speculation involved in free agency to, to do him. But do you have a guy you, you, you think the Raptors should be, targeting um a- anybody off the top of your head that you would like the Raptors to acquire the answer cannot be Andre Drummond <laughs> you mean in this coming off season in before the trade deadline oh before the trade deadline yeah actually um Blake wrote a piece the other day and I was a guy I was thinking about but um I think that uh if you're talking about I think there's two schools of thought right it's 
Do we want to have the trade Kyle Lowry conversation? If so, yeah, there's a bunch of guys who could make this team better, but it means losing the greatest Raptor of all time. You know, if if you're ready to have to have that conversation, I think I have a couple trades down here. I can I can run through them with you, see what you think. Um, I first off, I think Kyle Lowry, he's unquestionably, as I mentioned, greatest Raptor of all time. He you know, is the engine that makes this team tick and it would be heartbreaking to see him leave. But as we look at the long-term future of this franchise, Kyle's a win now player, right? He's 35, I think. He's not getting any, 34. Yeah. Turning 35 this year. Um, and he's going to demand a lot of money when he becomes a free agent in the off season. And are we going to pay him that money to stay on a team that whose title hopes are are probably not super realistic before he gets to a phase of his career where he's not as impactful or do we trade him to a team who can give us a young younger asset or young or a pick that could result in in a player that could vault this team this team into uh let's hear those trades nature, man like, right? we all think Kyle so, is great oh my god what a preamp yeah, yeah. disclaimer before we see the trade um, let's see him okay so the heat you know, that's a name that's been tossed around as a, a team that they're, they're trying to get over their COVID woes. They've got a lot of guys up and down the roster. They obviously made the finals last season, right? Obviously, they're not going to give up any of their core guys who are winning right now. But there's a guy who played very well for them in the playoffs last year who hasn't been as consistent this season, Tyler Hero. You know, is he on the table, perhaps, for a guy like Kyle Lowry, who would definitely help them out multiple guards? I think that he could play alongside Drogic and... Um, and Butler and, and make that team pretty scary. Well, Kyle's going to make any team um, scary that he goes to, but uh, a deal would be Kyle for something like Hero, Olenek, and Iguodala to make the money work. Maybe the Raptors throw in a future second or something like that, because I think Tyler Hero is, I, I really like him. I think he's maybe, he's not a, a he's not having a bad year as a player, but he's definitely not having the same season that we saw from him in the bubble. So if, if he think it was more of a flash in the pan and they can trade him for a guy who they know is going to um, compete and help them maybe fight with uh, some of the top tier teams in the East. I think that's something we could potentially look at. Obviously the Sixers, I don't know if we need to go into that into detail. There's, uh, but one, one thing I do want to talk about is, the idea that Kyle's going to go to a team that he wants to go to. I think Masai is a pretty cutthroat guy. He showed that with all the moves that he's made. The only thing he really cares about and is loyal to is the winning percentage of the team that employs him. So while Kyle's from Philly and it'd be a nice heart lifting story to see him go back to the city of brotherly love, yada, yada, the best deal that I could come up with on the trade machine that would make the money work is something like Maxi Ferguson, Danny green, who's just, you know, the bridesmaid, never the borough or the borough, never the bridesmaid. I think the expression is in all these trades. I, I don't know how many teams he's been on in the past four years, but I think it's at least four. Um, and then some sort of future pick, but I don't really want a future pick if I'm the Raptors from the Philadelphia 76ers, they've got a pretty good core and don't seem to be going anywhere near the lottery anytime soon. Um, and then this that I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, Messiah and Bobby are thinking about this is with the New Orleans Pelicans, they're not a contender, but I feel like David Griffin is in a space with this team where Zion's surging. They could squeak into the playoffs. Maybe they want to make some noise, and they've got so many pieces on their team that maybe some of them are interchangeable. They've got so many guards, right? So Kyle would go to the Pels in this perspective deal. It's a three-teamer. 
The Celtics would get involved. They would take JJ Reddick's contract. They need shooting. So I think they would be on, on, on board for that. The Raptors get Tristan Thompson to make the money work from the Celtics. Jackson Hayes, a Celtics second round pick, and Lonzo Ball. I think you Lonzo Ball. I, yeah, I think I think Lonzo Ball is a guy who some people have given up on. People think he's reached his ceiling. I I think he's been shooting the ball incredibly well. He's got great vision. Um, he he's quite young still. I think he's only twenty four years old, or, or maybe he's twenty three. But I think he's a. We talked about. If Kyle leaves, what's the long-term status of starting point guard at this, uh, this team? Is it Fred, or does Fred want to stay in an off-ball position and get a guy who's a proven point guard, who's young, who still has a lot of opportunity to grow um, on this team? I think Lonzo could be that guy, and and Hayes also is is somebody who is not even in the rotation really for the Pels anymore. I think Willie Hernan Gomez is playing over him, um, so he he seems to be on the outs and the Pels, and I'm not totally totally out on him. So I think he could he could add to the the team as well. But I know it's tough to have the conversation, but these are just some, some thought starters. I guess the only thing I'll add is, is something that uh, somebody mentioned in the comment section for, for one of her articles about uh, Bembry and how it, it must, it must be difficult for Bembry to go from playing on a really bad team throughout his career and come become part of a Raptor system where certain things are expected of you and you can thrive if you follow the rules, so to speak. And, I, I like the idea, kind of like we did with Kyle. Like he was a problem child when we got him from Houston. And and maybe pick up one of these guys that teams have sort of given up on and inject them into the Toronto system and see if some of our DNA can make them bigger than what they are currently. So I, I like your thinking around ball for sure. Uh, and I think that's sort of the way to go. And I think that's kind of Masai's... Um, I think that is where you can get the most value by spending the least because you're not going to get, you know, a, a player of Kyle's caliber in terms of like accomplishments no. uh, for him. So you have to go, what's the next tier down? Well, all the way down is you, you trade him for like picks or whatever. But I think this compromise in the middle, which you mentioned, sort of works well because it also gives the opportunity for the Raptors system to get more out of the guy than what maybe the previous system got out of him. Yeah, I think the you, you if you trade them to a contender, you're going to get four quarters back for a dollar, right? There's just no two ways about it. You Even when you talk about picks, I don't want picks from a contending team that the only team I would potentially want picks from in the future would be the Brooklyn Nets, right? But I don't, I think they probably learned their lesson from that catastrophe with Boston's big three years ago. So I, I would be, I'd be shocked if they did something. I don't even think they have the cap space to make it work, honestly. But yeah, teams who think they're a little bit better than they are like the Pelicans want to fight, want to prove to Zion that they're building a franchise that he wants to stay on. I think you can kind of pull on those heartstrings because if I'm the Pelicans, I don't do a deal like that, but you know, maybe if they, they think that they can make a run at things with the collection of talent that they have, they're kind of surging right now. Um, you can take advantage of somebody at the right time. But uh, when it comes to talking about those contenders, man, yeah, I just don't think it would be sad to see Kyle just win a championship with a team and us just get nothing in return. That would be uh that would hurt the most, I think. So uh, you got, you got to get young talent back or a pick that actually means something. Well, Nick, uh, let's uh, leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you at the quick reaction. I guess you gave the Wednesday one away. So I guess the next one uh, uh, we'll, we'll see you on that one. I'll be back after the all-star big. Don't worry. <laughs>